This podcast is brought to you by Villanova University on iTunes U. Please visit us on itunes.villanova.edu. On the right, that's, well, that's the beach in Zanzibar. Um, it's a nice place to spend a summer, as you can kind of see from the photo. Um, very tropical, would you say, and uh, white sand beaches. It's really beautiful. Tajikistan. I'm really proud of the Tajikistan program. On the uh, left there, just to tell the story a little bit, that's Exana. Um, she's in a staring contest at the moment with a kid at a NGO called Eroda. It is the only NGO of its kind in Tajikistan that specifically serves uh, children with autism and their families, uh, provides education, developmental support. It was developed uh, at a time when there really weren't these services in Tajikistan, and we're really proud to be able to send them uh, service interns who've designed websites for them, uh, worked with the kids. Um, it, it, it's definitely kind of heartwarming. Um, on, on the right there, um, those are just some of the mountains uh, in and around Dushan Bay. We organize hiking trips and excursions as part of this program just to kind of broaden your exposure to your host country, wherever that might be. Um, and so you can kind of see what, what the landscape looks like a little bit there. Indonesia. Um, again, just to tell the story there, on the left, um, that is Misato Nakayama. Um, she's a student at Washington College, and we paired her up actually with an interfaith organization that works on conflict resolution. Um, so as part of that, she was conducting interviews and doing research about different religious groups in and around Jogjakarta, which is where the program is based. So um, she was actually sent out, I'm not sure if you can see it clearly, but she's interviewing a, a Buddhist monk uh, at a monastery there to gather some uh, information and opinions um, that she was going to use as part of her research um, on the right. Those are, um, that's actually the Borbador Temple. It's a temple complex, uh, ancient Hindu complex, not far from Jogjakarta. And it's part of, a, the one, again, another one of the weekend excursions that we kind of organize. So, okay, who we are, what we do. This is our mission statement. I'll just read it off. Um, America's Unofficial Ambassadors is a citizen diplomacy initiative which builds mutual understanding and enhances people-to-people -people partnerships between America and the Muslim world. We place Americans in volunteer positions in the Muslim world and help them to share their experiences upon their return. So this is sort of the, in the nutshell, who we are and what we do. Um, we really see this program as a two-way street. On one level, we have Americans like yourselves who are going abroad doing service work in vital human development fields, whether that's education, community development, health, human rights, demonstrating through positive intention that they care about the communities that are hosting them and playing an active role in, in helping local initiatives improve, their, improve the lives in their communities. Um, on the other side of that, we ask everybody who goes through our program to give at least one community-based presentation when they return. That might be in their faith community, on college campuses, uh, local community organizations, where they're going to share uh, the experience of where they went, what they did, the people they met along the way. And so little by little, our goal here is to help close this perception gap that exists between the U.S. and Muslim communities abroad. You're acting as an ambassador, so to speak, while you're overseas. And then when you return, you're acting as kind of an ambassador of the experience sharing with people who you know as somebody from within their community and you know helping to foster greater tolerance here in the US for the Muslim world and also for Muslim Americans. So that's sort of our, our root mission. Um, just to get into our goals a little bit, um, obviously I talked a little bit about having an impact on human development challenges. You know, the things that I talked about, healthcare, education, we see these as the barriers to prosperity in the communities where we operate. And by helping to address those, even in a small way, 
um, we're helping to kind of erode some of those challenges and make them uh, easier for the people and for the initiatives that we work with. Dispelling stereotypes, again, which I talked about a lot. Um, you know, look, I, don't, I think we all read the news here, we pay attention. Um, there are misperceptions about America abroad. And here in the US, there are sort of misperceptions about uh, Muslims in the Middle East. And our initiative, you know, we're hoping, we're the only organization, as far as I know, that does what we do. Um, you know, we're hoping to kind of challenge those and start to kind of uh, dispel them, like I said. And building mutual understanding, which I think kind of ties into that. Um, just moving along a little head here. If I start to talk too quickly, by the way, you can like call time out. I promise I'll slow down. So um, programs that we offer, this is the one that we're recruiting for the most right now, and it's our summer service internship program. Um, we operate in the countries I just listed, Indonesia, Morocco, Tajikistan, and Zanzibar. Six-week full-time internship placements. If you are looking for direct, hands-on professional experience, things that are going to help you to learn and to grow, things you can tell prospective employers about later on. Um, this is a really exciting opportunity just for that. You've gone to a new place, applied your skills in a new setting, and you learned lessons that kind of came along with that. Uh, along the way, you'll build partnerships, learn local language. Language study is included in the program, so whether that's studying Arabic in Morocco or Bahasa in Indonesia, Kiswahili in Zanzibar. Um, in Tajikistan, actually, have a lot of options. You can study Russian, Tajik, Farsi. Um, so we try to build in at least uh, three times a week you would do language study. If you haven't studied these languages before, don't worry. Um, they mostly focus on survival skills, practical things that you can use day to day, whether that's in your service placement or out on the street. Hello, my name is. Can you hand me that thing over there? these kind of things. So, but if you have studied those, these languages, this is a chance for you to get some field experience using the language, um, get some insight into how the language is used and use it in a, in a living environment, so to speak. Um, or if you haven't, it's just a chance to kind of get a taste of something that maybe you'd want to study later on. But, um, you know, these are also in-demand languages. Bahasa, for example, I mean, Indonesia is a thriving center of business. So if you're a business major um, or if you're interested in just working in, in uh, East Asia, it's a language that you may want to start to get to know. The semester of service program, this is new for us, um, Morocco or Indonesia. It basically takes the internship experience that I talked about and combines it with uh, classes at one of our partner universities. So um, I don't know if you've ever heard of Al Ahwain University in Morocco, but it's basically a kind of, I guess, equivalent of like a very nice small liberal arts college in Morocco. Um, or Gajamati University in Indonesia. This is the oldest university in Indonesia. These are our partners for both the summer and the semester programs. Um, but it basically is 15 to 25 hours a week of internship experience combined with classes in the humanities, international relations, and language study. So um, again, if you're looking, if the summer maybe isn't for you and you want to consider a semester long uh, course or, or study abroad experience, this is something that you may want to consider. And we actually have the applications for the Morocco sem uh, semester of service will be basically up until March 30th. So if you're interested in that, I can talk more about that later on. Um, so I talked a little bit about some of the benefits of the internship experience. I think one of the top things is academic credit. You have some options in terms of earning credit through this. We actually offer a four credit option through the College of New Jersey. Um, basically, you, you pay a small fee in addition to the program fee, um, and you can earn four credits through the College of New Jersey, which may transfer to Villanova. You'd have to inquire with your program. Um, aside from that, 
we work with college students a lot. If you're going to try to get credit through Villanova, for example, um, basically go to your program, find out what those credit requirements are, and we will do everything we can to shape a service placement around those requirements. So whether that's a particular number of service hours or a report that you have to do at the end of it or a particular activity you have to be engaged in, um, you know, we've done a lot to try to ensure that people who want to get credit for service can. Um, a certificate in citizen diplomacy, which is something somewhat new that we offer. Um, you know, look, this experience is a cross-cultural experience unlike anything else. Um, you will have to navigate in a complicated cross-cultural setting. You will go to new places, learn a language. Um, and the certificate uh, for completing all of those, all the aspects of the uh, experience, is something you can put on your CV for either awards or distinctions to basically say that you have uh, this kind of cross-cultural understanding that honestly a lot of employers these days really do look for. Um, language skills and cross-cultural experience, I kind of went into that a little bit, but lastly it's just sort of the benefits of a small organization. Look, there are a lot of programs out there where you can do volunteer service abroad, but a lot of those programs are also very large and I can tell you right now, if you work with us, you are definitely a name and not a number. I can recite for you everybody who has done our program off the top of my head um, because I've worked personally with each of them. Okay, I can, you know, little personality quirks and all sorts of things. We definitely invest in our people. Um, we design personalized work plans structured specifically to you and your activities in which like you and I will sit down and have a conversation about what you're going to be doing. Um, so it gives it a certain structure. Um, but really we, we really do invest in our people and we care about our people. Um, and so there's a certain benefit, you know, I, other organizations I can tell you, you call and you're actually dealing with a customer service rep. Uh, we don't do that. Um, so it's just something to kind of keep in mind. Um, aside of this, and I kind of mentioned this earlier, which was the, the benefit to things on your resume if you're thinking about going into the job market. Um, look, this kind of service work is something that employers really do look for and prize on CVs. Um, I, you know, I, the statistics are, are off the top of my head are pretty promising if you look at um, the National Corporation for Public Service, which is sort of like they run like AmeriCorps mm -hmm. and those guys. Um, you know, your, was if you're a job seeker uh, over the course of six months and if you have volunteer service on your resume, you're up to a third more likely to find a job within that period than you are than somebody who doesn't have service on their on their CV. So, and a lot of employers, um, they did a survey on Idealist. I think it was something like uh, 50 or 60 percent of employers in the not-for-profit sector value volunteer service or this kind of internship service equally as much as paid employment. So, think about that. That you know, if you are going to the job market and you want something that's going to distinguish you from other applicants. This is something that is definitely worth considering. Okay, so I'll move on a little bit. Um, just to tell you a little bit about some of our placements, education. Um, our education placements range from primary schools and high schools to uh, madrasas, small village schools, public schools. Um, you might teach French if you have French language understanding, even basic French. Uh, teaching English, if you, you know, if you like to teach and you're interested in teaching, um, your ability to speak English as a native speaker is a skill that you can bring into a placement and we, we can definitely work with you to design an English teaching placement. Um, IT skills, basic computer skills, you would be surprised um, some of the skills that you and I kind of take for granted in understanding things like Microsoft Word and Excel, 
um, basic things of PowerPoint or how to do a blog. Um, that's not a skill set that some people in the, the developing world have had the opportunity to develop. And if you can bring that into a teaching placement and give some basic IT or computer assistance, um, that's, that's a very valuable skill you can pass on to local people. Oh, before I go, that's um, Stephanie Hallinan in the black hijab. Um, she's a Washington College student. She was kind of a rock star in a placement in Indonesia. Those are all of her students around her. Um, the hijab is obviously not required for every placement that we do. The school asked if she could wear one for that placement, and she agreed. Um, but you know, these are, uh, it kind of gives you a sense, I like this photo, I think, because it gives you a sense of kind of the impact that a teaching placement can have. I mean, these, uh, she designed learning curriculums for basically this entire class and four others. Um, and I believe she's, that they're actually still using some of the learning models she designed there. Um, Non-governmental organizations. Uh, yeah, some locally led initiatives that we work with range from things like human rights, women's rights, uh, public health, protecting the environment. Um, skills that you can bring into a placement like that. Um, communications is a very common thing that we have uh, people build placements around. Um, your ability to write clearly and concisely in English is something that a locally led initiative, whether that's um, an organization like FAWE, which was for um, improving women's educational opportunities, um, or the autism NGO that I spoke about a, mo a moment ago, that skill enables that organization to reach out to the English-speaking world for building partnerships, for raising funds, and basically for getting their message out to a new audience. So we've had people design brochures and pamphlets, web content, um, design social media uh, outreach strategies, and implement them and see a lot of success with them. Um, research and proposal writing as well. I mean, a lot of these organizations have to write grant proposals and um, reports for their funding and for their you know, foreign funders as well. So that's a skill that you can also bring into this if you're looking for something that will, particularly if you're interested in working in international development later on, that's a skill you can kind of bring into that placement. Um, Maggie, you can talk a little bit about that. Youth leadership. Um, the picture there, actually, that's Jenny Lee. She went to our Morocco program. She led an environmental education summer camp for kids in a national park. And she actually designed an environmental education curriculum for the national park that they can now use um, for leading student groups around and basically teaches them things about, you know, don't litter, don't um, pollute, and teaches them things about the local flora and fauna as well. Um, those are some of the kids that she led as part of that uh, camp. But, you know, these uh, youth engagement initiatives, whether it's a summer camp or working at a youth center, you know, it, it, it's, there's a reason that, you know, having these kind of um, service interns is valuable, um, primarily is just that you know, you're having somebody who's taking an active interest in the lives of young people in these communities, whether that's providing them with educational assistance, um, whether that's providing them with activities that they might not otherwise have an opportunity to do over the summer, um, and it shows them that somebody really cares and took an interest in their lives and in their well-being. Um, and you know, I can just as an example, there's a also in Morocco. There's a summer teach. There's a summer uh, summer camp that some of our previous interns have run, and parents have come to us and said, you know, if you didn't have this summer camp, my kid would have nothing to do this summer. Um, they might be running around. They might be getting in trouble. Um, we might have just sent them off to go work. Um, but you know, these are uh, you know, this basically provides a, a an opportunity for them to learn and to kind of have fun. Okay. 
Um, the last bit I'll just sort of, uh, as I'm kind of closing out here, is just that volunteering changes people's lives. And it'll change your life too. I mean, I was a volunteer in Thailand and in Morocco. Uh, I taught English. Um, but, you know, it's something that I kind of see as a formative experience for me. Um, it's something I can kind of look back on, um, you know, think about my students, think about uh, the kind of life lessons that I had as part of that. Um, and so while you were there doing service to kind of help this community, you know, it's, it helps to kind of remember that you're getting something out of it as well. So um, with that, I'll kind of, I think I can, would you like to start or should I open it up to questions or? Does anybody have questions you'd like to ask before we, I can, or I can, yes, go ahead. Do you have a question? Oh, no, sorry. Okay. <laughs> um, we'll tell you what, why don't I turn things over to Maggie for a little bit. She can talk about her work. Um, so, as was mentioned earlier, my name is Maggie Lamb. I'm a junior, right now political science and GIS double major with right now a minor in Arab and Islamic studies, possibly moving up to a major. Major. <laughs> Um, and last summer, I interned at the Forum for African Women Educationalists in Zanzibar. Um, it was easily one of the most, if not the most, incredible experience of my life. Um, and as Stefan mentioned, one of the aspects of this internship is kind of coming back and talking about it. And Dr. Bujadarian and I had been talking about trying to schedule a presentation. So this is kind of a piece of my presentation that I would, have, that I would want to share with you about Zanzibar. So this is just one picture of Zanzibar. You can see the water is really blue. I liked this picture because you can just really see how beautiful it is. I really can't explain just, you know, we were talking about how it's a tropical environment. Like it's so unbelievably beautiful. So I want to just tell you about Zanzibar kind of through three different experiences that I had had. Um, the first is how to say hello. And these are the only words, so don't worry, most of what I'm showing you is pictures. But you would think that learning how to say hello in a you know, different country would be pretty easy. Um, in Zanzibar, there's about a million different ways to greet someone. And this is because you say hello to every single person you see. When we're walking through Villanova and if you see someone who you know from class or you see someone who you know from something, you might say hello. In Stonetown, which is the capital where we were based in Zanzibar, you make eye contact and say hello to pretty much every single person that you see. And there's a lot of words to say that. So these are just a few of the different greetings. Um, Yambo or Si Yambo, that's one that you might have heard a little bit more. It's pronounced Jambo in different Swahili um, countries in Zanzibar, it's Yambo. Uh, Mambo Poa kind of means hey, hey back. Assalamu alaikum and walaikum assalam. That's actually Arabic, it's not Swahili, but it's used in Zanzibar because Zanzibar is 95 to 99% Muslim, um, but it's not used in other Swahili speaking countries. It's actually not used in mainland Tanzania at all. Um, Habari Anzuri, that kind of means like how's the news and oh, it's beautiful. Um, this was actually taught to me by somebody who used to stand outside the office where I worked and really wanted me to be part of the culture. So he taught me this phrase and he gave me my own Zanzibari name, which was Hawa. Um, so that was, and that was his way. And he gave me that name and then he came upstairs to my office and wanted my boss Khadija to know that my new name was Hawa. She was like, okay. Because <laughs> um, that was just one of the ways they really wanted us to be part of the culture. And then Shikamu Marahaba. This one took me the longest to learn because it's used as a term of respect. You would say this to somebody who was older than you. And this was somebody in my office who put up with the yambo for a while and then was like, no, 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 this is how you have to say it. And she didn't speak a word of English, but she taught me that this is what she wanted me to say to her. Um, so I just use this as an example. Um, here's some yambo and 
these are some of the places where you just you would really say hello to pretty much all these people. Um, <laughs> um, I just use this as an example of just how welcoming this community was. It was very different. Like I said, at Villanova, you say hello to the people you know. In Stonetown, everybody's saying hello to each other. Everybody cares about each other. Everybody wants to talk to each other. And just all the different greetings there are. I mean, th these five greetings, I learned way more than this, too. These are the five that I could remember a couple months after the fact. Um, so there's so many like, different ways that you learn just to interact with people. The next thing that I wanted to talk about um, is something that, Stefan, you mentioned a little bit, uh, the hijab. And to me, this went hand in hand with Ramadan. Um, I don't know how many of you have been paying attention to the news within the past 24 hours, but Michelle Obama has you know, gained a lot of criticism and support kind of both sides of the argument for choosing not to wear the hijab in Saudi Arabia. And this was something that I kind of laughed at because I almost like understood where she was coming from and trying to make the decision of, do I wear the hijab or not? Um, in Zanzibar, the, those of us who were teaching in schools did decide to wear the hijab always in the classroom out of respect for their students. Um, me and my friend Deborah, this is us, this is actually in front of the Catholic Church. Um, we only wore the hijab during Ramadan. And our reasoning for that was that Ramadan was a very, you know, it was a, it's a very religious time, obviously, and it was something that really enveloped all of Stonetown because it is 99% Muslim. Um, and this was just something that we wanted to do out of respect for the people around us. And while I'm not criticizing Mrs. Obama's decision, I can say that I am definitely glad that I did make the choice to wear the hijab during this time because you can really tell how the people around me appreciated it. Um, they would say things like Nzuri, that was the response of Habari, it means beautiful, Nzuri Sana, um, when you walked by. My friend Deborah, who actually spoke Swahili, could understand that they were saying, oh, thank you for respecting our religion. Um, which was something that I was really glad that I got to do. It was one way for me to kind of like physically be part of their community, which, like I mentioned, is something that's really powerful. Um, another thing that I noticed during Ramadan um, is, you know, this goes back to the food. So Stonetown, there's street food vendors all over the place. This one is a lot more touristy, um, but I didn't have any pictures of any of the more authentic street food, if you will. Um, but it's, the food's really good. It's really, really cheap. Um, you could you know, have a full dinner for $1.25 if you were kind of splurging. Um, but during Ramadan, most of these places close down because it's the month of fasting. Um, during this time, however, a few would reopen at sundown. And there was one time during, I was there for, during Ramadan for one week. And as I was walking back around sundown, I realized that one of these street vendors was getting ready. He was getting ready for sundown. And he was getting almost like little bites, like small little things ready. And then when you heard the call to prayer that signified that it was sundown and you could break your fast, all these people who were around just came and he just gave everybody a little bite of food. And it was something that was really simple and beautiful to me because it was really this group of people who were kind of, you know, aware that they were all celebrating the same thing and they were recognizing this breaking of the fast in each other. But it wasn't a big celebration. It wasn't like everybody in Stonetown was out in the streets partying. It wasn't, you know, like a big crazy holiday. It was just this moment that was this thing that they could tell that they all shared. And I just thought that was a really interesting symbol of the community. Um, the last thing that I wanted to talk about is the question that I've been asked about a million times um, before, during, and after I came back from Zanzibar. Um, was I safe? Um, I would actually say, and this is not a popular opinion among my parents, um, I felt safer in Stonetown than I often do in the United States. 
And the reason for this is what I've been kind of saying over and over again. There's a community in Stonetown that I just haven't seen anywhere else. Um, people in Stonetown looked out for each other and they knew who you were and they looked out for each other. Um, maybe my last or second to last night, we were walking back um, after dark and some guy was like kind of giving us a hard time and nothing really scary, nothing that quite frankly you don't find walking home late at night at Villanova. Um, but what was different about this experience was that our neighbors looked out for us. So there was this group of people who they were um, food street vendors right outside our apartment. Um, and we didn't know their names, they didn't know our names, but we said hello to each other every single day um, in 10 different ways. And they knew who we were. And they knew that we were really trying to be part of the community. We knew that they knew we lived in the neighborhood. They knew we were working in Stonetown. And when this guy was kind of giving us a hard time, they said like, hey, go away, leave these girls alone. And he did. And that to me is something that I've never experienced nor would expect to experience in the United States. I can't really imagine this pretty much stranger, you know, coming to the aid of someone who wasn't really in that much trouble. Um, but in Stonetown, we were part of their community and we accepted that we were part of their community and being part of their community didn't just mean, oh, we share a street with them. It means we share a life with them. So they really did want to protect us. Um, I mentioned, I was talking to Stefan earlier and he mentioned that I should say this. Um, if any of your, if you want to go and any of your parents have concerns, they should call my mom because <laughs> she, she was terrified about letting me go. I pretty much texted her and was like, hey, so I think I'm going to go to Zanzibar this summer. Are we good? Um, and she was very impressed with the way um, America's Unofficial Ambassadors really handled the fact that we were going somewhere that people don't know a lot about and that we don't, you know, there can be, you know, the threat of security concerns. And um, we didn't, like, like I said, I never at any point felt unsafe in Zanzibar. But so if any of your parents have concerns about that, um, please do call my mom because she really was, to get my mom to admit that me, I was safe anywhere in the world is pretty impressive. Um, so I don't want to keep talking forever. Um, I could keep talking forever. So if anybody just wants to talk about Zanzibar sometime, it's my favorite um, thing to do. Just my last thing, I just want to show this picture because I think it's really cool. Um, one last aspect of our, uh, um, yeah, we were invited to a wedding while we were there. Um, and I, I won't even tell you like how we knew this person because it's really confusing and it's like seven degrees of separation. Um, and I never knew the bride's name, but we went to this wedding and the people who brought us wanted to make sure that we fit in. So these uh, five girls who are smiling at the camera were um, some of the other interns who I was there with. And you could see they made sure that we were dressed right. We had the right makeup. Um, you can kind of see we had the henna um, and they just came and they did that for us. And that was just, you know, one example. We were at this wedding. We got to see this really almost intimate example of their culture and see how it differed and was similar to ours. And I thought that that to me was just one moment where I realized like, wait, you're a very welcoming community. And I can't imagine inviting a stranger to my wedding, but you guys completely accepted us with open arms. So that is my very brief summary of something that I have spoken about for hours. So, so I mean, that's pretty much the gist of it. Um, and thank you, Maggie. I, I really appreciate it. I've never seen that picture from the wedding before. So you have to send me that. I love that. Um, so. Um, but are there any questions or anything that, yes? Um, so how many people are in one place for like a summer? So we try to put together a team of about eight or nine people per country. So um, we're starting to getting a cu couple applications now for, for Zanzibar. We still have a lot of placements open. 
Um, so, and we also have a lot of the other program placements open as well. The deadline, like I said, is March 5th. Um, if you are interested and you're still having some time, taking some time to put together your application, just email me and let me know. Um, but yeah, we, we definitely have uh, the placements open. And yeah, generally about eight or nine people, plus a country coordinator usually, somebody who's going to come in and like kind of monitor things like the security situation, monitor your placements and that kind of stuff. Um, I just have a couple like other little slides I can show you just very quickly. Um, this is safety stuff. Maggie kind of spoke about this a little bit. But yeah, we organize a country coordinator. We organize your housing, so we kind of vet the housing pretty seriously. Um, transportation, which we organize for you to and from your job site and to and from the airport. Um, and then cell phones, we give everybody a kind of emergency cell phone that they can carry with them at all times. Um, I can talk more about that later on if you guys have questions. These are just shots of the housing. That's actually the group house in Stonetown on the right there on the alley. Yes, look familiar. Um, and that's Al Akhwain University, where the housing is for the Morocco program. Um, this is just a list of you know recent majors and minors of people who've done our program. So if you're thinking about it, you're wondering if it's right for you. Everything from anthropology to business to Islamic studies uh, and you know environmental studies. So um, you know we we tend to tailor the placement to the person and their skill set and their interests. So you know if you're not a Middle Eastern studies major but you still want to go, definitely you know don't feel excluded. Um, and these are just a few. Slides, that's Tajikistan. That is actually Zanzibar as well. I like this picture because if you see on the left there, you have the minaret for a mosque, and on the right, you have the spires of a Christian church. And so I think that just kind of, it's not the world's best photograph, but I think it tells kind of the story of like, you know, these places are more diverse than they're given credit for being sometimes. Um, and I don't know if we have sound, but there's actually a video here that one of our volunteers made, if you're curious. But um, I can actually, I don't think we have sound on here, but I can, I can send you the link to it as well. Um, and maybe if you want to share it with them, it's about like three or four minutes. No, I don't think this is it. Okay, that's cool. So, um, oh, yeah, question. If you study the language before and then you go to one of these sites where the language is spoken, is there an opportunity to place in like a language class? So um, it definitely helps if you study the languages before. Um, but uh, the short answer is like we try to do some language levels um, in like in Tajikistan, for example, where there are different, um, where we definitely see different levels. But like in what language are you studying? So in the Morocco program, um, you actually study the local colloquial dialect of Arabic rather than modern standard Arabic. Oh. So if you haven't, so if you're an advanced MSA, you're still learning something new just by being in the class. So there's no real difference of level there. Um, have you studied colloquial Moroccan? A little bit. Oh, awesome. Okay. Um, we, I mean, so we don't do different levels in in that just because it's so rare that we find somebody who studied Moroccan Arabic. But um, we can definitely talk with the instructor to see if there's something additional we can do for you. Um, but yeah, that that's that's basically. I mean, mostly. We focus on, like I said, kind of survival skills. So it's not necessarily something that you would do for different levels. But, but it is a chance to get some field experience uh, using that. How is your Moroccan Arabic, by the way? It's Shreya. Yeah. Jordan, so it's a shock to go. <laughs> OK. Yeah. OK. Yeah, it's, 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 it's a good language. Um, other questions or? OK. Um, so I will, no? So um, there's materials in the back. My email address is on those. 
Uh, if you do have questions or if you just want to talk about the program and kind of weigh your options, um, really don't hesitate to be in touch. Um, we're doing these on a rolling basis. It does kind of, it is kind of in your interest to try to start your application uh, if you are interested in doing that because you know, they are going to fill up toward as we get closer to March 5th. Um, but right now a lot of things are open and um, you know, if you're interested and you want to go, do please be in touch. The application's online, so it's pretty simple. It's just a basic application in a medical form. So, okay. Um, well, thanks everybody for coming. I really appreciate it, and um, I hope you guys will apply. Um, yeah, and and thank you. Oh, absolutely. Thank you. For, can we just? Is there a long video? Um, I think I put this down. Okay. Let's let's give it a shot and see how it goes. Yeah, I don't think we're getting sound. Um, tell you what, I'll just I'll send you the link. It's basically just kind of an overview of the Jogjakarta program from our first year. Um, it, Voice of America actually took some of this video, and uh, remember I told you there was a Voice of America piece about yep. us. Yep. They so this, is this is they 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 took some of this video and made their piece with it. So, um, so anyway, yeah. Thank you so much, and uh, hope to see applications from all of you. Thank you. All right.